We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, Elmani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, Elmani. Today to 1 Samuel chapter 20. 1 Samuel chapter 20, as we come to this section now, and it's been such a blessing for me, and who knows, man, we, I might never uh, be here again like this, you know, where, you, you know, especially at the, at, the, at the rate or the pace that I'm, you know, teaching the Bible, um, and it's an opportunity, it's an opportunity for us to learn from the lives of the likes of Samuel and Saul and David and Jonathan. And we learn, you know, just like in life, I'm sure you guys have seen people that you, you're like, oh man, I don't want that to happen to me, you know. You see those examples that are extremely negative, but then every once in a while you're just blessed with an individual that you see their example and it's just a wonderful, beautiful example as well. And we have that before us. We have that guy Saul, crazy, wicked, jealous, envious, carnal, man with so much potential but he never made it because he would not you know submit himself to the to the lord you know and so he had a son but the apple fell far from the tree you know and jonathan jonathan is an exact opposite of him and so we learn from their lives uh, and we also learn in going through samuel from the life of an individual named david you guys have heard of him before right david he's an awesome man his name means beloved and uh, we talked a little bit about him this last weekend at our men's retreat. And, you know, there's a few things about David that stood out um, as far as, like, his callings in life. Number one, we see in looking at the life of David that he was an individual who turned out to be, um, let's see, pray for me. What was that first thing, man? <laughs> oh, yeah, he turned out to be a soldier. Huh. He turned out to be a fighter. And uh, I don't know how he did it, you know. I know it was the Lord, but the Bible says that his hands were trained for war. And we were talking about this with the men, how we need to be fighters. How a lot of times guys are just straight out wimps. How they don't want to fight. How they give up in life. And it's like, man, where's your fight? We need to learn from David. He was a soldier. He was a fighter. Of course, we know that when Abigail spoke with David, she said, you know, my Lord, he fights the battles of the Lord. We're not talking about fighting with your wife or fighting with that other Christian over there. We're talking about fighting with yourself. The Bible says that in 1 Corinthians 9, I give my, myself, you know, black eyes and, you know, I bruise myself. I, I fight myself. And, and David was cool. He fought the enemy. He slayed the giant. And it was so cool how he became a fighter. Secondly, he became a worshiper. And how he wrote all these psalms. And that's pretty amazing how this guy who was so like crazy, full on, full of testosterone like that, you know, can then come and be the sweet psalmist of Israel. And you're like, how did that happen? Well, it's got to be the Lord. And there has to be a sensitivity in our heart as well to worship the Lord. And I, and I really do believe that means singing. That when you come and you worship and you praise the Lord, that you don't just come... You know, uh, for the, the Bible study, although this is uh, uh, the highlight in one sense, that time of preparing your heart, that time of worshiping, that time of living for God, really, that, that's a reflection of that whole thing. In adoration of God, do you worship God? Are you in awe of God or not? 
I mean, is he up there? Is he holy? Is he reverent in your life? Is he worthy to be sung to, you know? And, and we learn that from David. He's a great example of a soldier, a fighter. He's a great example of a worshiper, a psalmist. And then in the end, he ended up being, what was his ultimate calling? You guys know what it was, right? What was his ultimate in the end? He was a king. He was a leader. He was a leader. And that's what men need to, to be. They need to be leaders. But how can you be leaders? Do you boss people around? Is that how you do it? No. We as leaders need to be examples. What we need to do is we, we, need, we need to live the life. Yeah, there's an element of instruction to it. And there's an element of, you know, you know gathering people around you. And, and I've seen some guys real gifted in leadership. And they're able to talk to a million guys. I don't know how they do it, man. And the Lord just does a great work. But primarily, I think being a leader is being an individual who, who is an example. And we know in Acts chapter 13, speaking of David, he said he was a man that, who was after my own heart, God said, who did all my will. And that's what we want to be, you guys. And I think what makes a good leader is a good follower of Jesus Christ. And so, you know, you look at those three things about David, but there were two things that, that prepared him for that. Number one was his time as a shepherd. I think his time as a shepherd was a great preparation for him because there he was, and in one sense, I'll be honest with you, he was kind of alone with the Lord. He was kind of alone with the Lord. It was a menial task. He just had a few sheep, according to his brothers. It doesn't say he had a big flock, but he was faithful as a shepherd. And wherever you are in life, you may think it's a menial task. You might think it's just a few sheep. It doesn't matter. God is testing you and God is preparing you. And while he was there as a shepherd, he's, he's writing these psalms. He's drawing near to God. He's learning about God. He's spending time with the Lord. And, and don't, don't, you know, don't, um, don't despise the day of small things. Whatever you do. Don't, you know, kick against the goads and say, when am I going to be king? No, God will test you where you are right now. And he's preparing you right now as a shepherd. He's preparing you for your faithfulness. But there's one other, one other place that prepared David ultimately. One was a shepherd, as a shepherd, and the other was as a fugitive. And for 10 years, he was just, just totally on the run. He was filled with tremendous pain, tremendous trials, tremendous tribulation. But you see, the making of a leader is the making of a man of God. And the making of a man of God can only take place in the fires, in the fires of life. And that's what we're going to see today as Saul, you know, he's crazy. He wants to kill this wonderful man, the only one that could really save his own life. He kills him. He wants to anyways. And we're going to see how it all began. And, and not only that, mixed in this whole thing, we're going to have lessons on loyalty, lessons on friendship. Uh, we, I don't know when this started. When did we start using that phrase BFF? Is that a curiosity? <laughs> BFF. Is that a texting thing? Is that when it started? What does that mean? Best friends forever, right? And how many of you guys do BFFs? <laughs> Most of the guys don't. It's just the girls, huh, that do BFFs, right? Well, David and Jonathan, they were bad dudes, and they were BFFs, just to let you know. Because <laughs> look what we read here in 1 Samuel 20. It says, And then David, he fled from Naioth to Ramah. And he went and he said to Jonathan, What have I done? 
What is my iniquity and what is my sin before your father that he seeks my life? So Jonathan said to him, By no means, you shall not die. Indeed, my father will do nothing, either great or small, without first telling me. And why should my father hide this thing from me? It is not so. And then David took an oath again and said, Your father certainly knows that I have found favor in your eyes and has said, Do not let Jonathan know this, lest he be grieved. But truly as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, David said, there is but a step between me and death. Now, We've been going through this, and you, you know we're picking it up in the middle of the story. But um, remember, um, Saul uh, tries to kill David. He's he's very unspiritual by throwing spears right at David. And uh, what ends up happening is he runs away. He sends men to try to go get him at his house. And David splits. He goes down through the window. He runs over to where Samuel's at. And so Saul sends uh, three teams to try to get him. When they get there, they all prophesy. Eventually, Saul goes and he prophesies as well. God is protecting him, but Saul is trying to kill him. And so what happens is David comes back from where Samuel is, uh, and he comes back to find Jonathan, and that's where you pick it up right here, and he tells he has Jonathan, he asks him this question. you know. And, and, and in looking at the context here, more than likely, Jonathan was unaware of everything that had happened in the previous chapter. How Saul tried to spear him, how Saul sent men after him, how Saul eventually sent three teams and went himself to get David. More than likely, Saul had successfully hidden all this from his son. And so what ends up happening is David finally flees to Naoth and Ramah. And he asks Jonathan, he says, man, what's up? I don't get it. What have I done? What's my sin that your father wants to kill me? Now, the last time, you know, Jonathan had had this conversation with his father, uh, go back to chapter 19, if you would, in verse 6. You know, Jonathan tries speaking some sense into him. And, 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 you know, he tells him, hey, why then we sin against innocent blood to kill David without a cause? And in verse 6, so Saul heeded the voice of Jonathan and Saul swore, as the Lord lives, he shall not be killed. And so that's where Jonathan is. That's the last thing Saul had said to him. No, I'm not going to kill him. And he made a solemn vow to God, right? Uh, so, you know, Jonathan here in verse 2 responds. He says, no way, you're not going to die at, at my father's hands. My father wouldn't do anything without letting me know first. And so David says in verse 3, you know what? Your dad knows about our friendship. He knows about how I found favor in your eyes. And so... He's hiding it from you in an attempt to keep from grieving you. And then he says these words, and I, I don't know about you, but they're real pretty, huh? The end of verse 3, when I read it, he says, But truly, as the Lord lives, and as your soul lives, there is but a step between me and death. And you know, we're not in David's situation, um, but in one sense we are. You know, I mean... How do we know we're going to continue to live, you guys? No man has tomorrow guarantee. You know, there's a step between us and death. Now, of course, we know David was in the context of, you know, the king and the army all after him. But for us, I think it's something to take to heart. Psalm 144, verse 4 says, Man is like a breath. His days are like a passing shadow. And in James, same thing. It says, you know what? Our life is like a vapor. It appears one day and then tomorrow it's gone. And so, 
You know, we need to live life understanding that concept, understanding that principle, understanding that truth. You know, if there's anyone that you need to get right with, if there's anything that you need to do to prepare your children or your family or whatever it is, because, you know, when you consider the fact that we do not have tomorrow, we do not have another moment, we, won't, we don't have the promise that we're going to make it through this Bible study here. And when we begin to live life like that, we understand, you know, the way life works. I think that if we're, you know, ready to die, then we're actually, you know, finally ready to live. And so right here, David gives us this principle. Of course, we know he's in the middle of this whole thing. And so what ends up happening, Jonathan responds in verse 4, and he said to David, whatever you yourself desire, I will do it for you. And David said to Jonathan, Indeed, tomorrow is the new moon, and I should not fail to sit with the king to eat. But let me go, that I may hide in the field until the third day at evening. If your father misses me at all, then say, David earnestly asked permission of me that he might run over to Bethlehem, his city, for there is a yearly sacrifice there for all the family. If he says this, it is well, your servant will be safe. But if he is very angry, be sure that evil is determined by him. Therefore, you shall deal kindly with your servant, for you have brought your servant into a covenant of the Lord with you. Nevertheless, if there is an iniquity in me, kill me yourself, for why should you bring me to your father? Now, David wasn't a perfect man. Um, there are no perfect men. Um, and that's why we're going to see he's going to go through these trials. Maybe you're here today and you think you're a perfect man or you're a perfect woman and you're not. And it's okay to admit that. Let's say that. I'm not perfect. No, I'm just joking not to say that. You're not. I'm not. There's no one here perfect. And that's, what, that's why we count it all joy when we fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of our faith, the refining of our faith, it produces good things in us. It produces the endurance so that it will be necessary for us to finish our race the things that God's called us to, to do, the place that God's called us to. We've got to finish our race. And that's why it's cool to go through the trials. You know, we're going to see here that David actually you know, lies. Uh, Jonathan lies. That's not good. In the next chapter, we're going to see David pretends to be a crazy man, you know, this slobber you know, going down his beard. And he's, it's, God's going to be dealing with him, right, in issues of trust and issues of honesty. Uh, one of the great philosophers, I won't tell you who he is because he's not a believer, but he said that probably the primary problem with man is dishonesty. David's going to have to come to grips with that. Sometimes we word things in such a way to manipulate people, and sometimes we're not honest with ourselves. We've got to be honest with ourselves. We've got to be honest with others. Here we see David you know, and Jonathan, they start working out this whole thing. Jonathan basically says in verse 4, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it for you. And David says, okay, tomorrow is the feast of the new moon. Uh, something we read about in the book of Numbers, chapter 10, verse 10, chapter 28, verse 11. And, and we know kind of like today, I, I think today is a new moon. Did you guys know that? Does anybody feel like a lunatic tonight? No, I'm just joking. They say, well, this is just a, you know, an urban legend, but, you know, when it's a full moon, you know, you get all crazy, right? Some of you like that? It's just an urban legend, man, right? 
But uh, Saul, I think, was like that. Anyways, with the new moon, they would have these feasts. You can read about it in Numbers 10, Numbers chapter 28. And then David says, we know how important it is for me to be there as a member of the king's cabinet, as an individual and distinguished and invited guest. Warren Risby said it was customary for each Jewish family to hold a feast at the new moon, and Saul would expect David to attend. If Saul's son-in-law and leading military hero didn't attend the feast, it would be an insult to the king as well as the family. And so David said, you know what, this feast is coming up, but here, here's our plan, you know, we'll work it out. I'm going to hide in the field until the third day. I'm not going to show up to the feast. If your father, you know, says anything, tell him this lie. Tell him that I asked for permission to attend a yearly sacrifice in my hometown of Bethlehem with all my family. If he understands, then we know everything is cool. If he freaks out, right, then we know and you know that evil is really determined by him. You know, here in verse 8, it's interesting as they work through this whole plan. He says right here, Therefore you shall deal kindly with your servant, for you have brought your servant into a covenant of the Lord with you. Nevertheless, if there is iniquity in me, kill me yourself, for why should you bring me to your father? You know, there's something um, deep. There's something deep in the relationship between Jonathan and David. If you go back to uh, the same book, chapter 18, verse 3, you see that they made a covenant with each other. You remember that uh, back there? Let's turn and read it in 1 Samuel chapter 18. Well, if you actually, if you read early on, it says in verse 1, Now when he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Saul took him that day and would not let him go home to his father's house anymore. And then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan took off the robe that was on him and gave it to David with his armor, even to his sword and his bow and his belt. You know, there's something formal about that. And I think that we lack that in the church. I think we lack that in life where, where you really find a friend, where you really find an individual who will be committed to you in that finality, in that formality, so to speak. Where you really find an individual that it's, it's the Lord and he knits these souls together and he, and he makes them, you know, BFFs, man. He makes them best friends forever. He makes them an individual who's really, who will really be there to watch your back. A lot of times, and I, and I don't want to, I don't want to sound mean or anything, you know what, but I think, I think that you guys, a lot of times we are just so in it for ourselves that we just wait for that first opportunity to stab somebody in the back. And, and we have to come to that place. You know what? I'll never have a perfect friend. And they're always going to give me, you know, reasons probably to, you know, whatever it is, struggle for whatever reason and question, you know, where they are in, in the Lord and things like that. But, but you got to love them no matter what. You got to love them in the good times and in the bad times. You know, there has to be this covenant that we make as Christians, when God puts people together and God makes them friends and God makes them brothers and God makes them sisters, 
You know, we have to have that heart, you guys. And I think in looking at the life of David and Jonathan, you're going to see this over and over again. This is really uh, a covenant. It's really between them and the Lord that is just so beautiful. And he says right here that you would deal kindly with me. And there's a language there in the Hebrew that speaks about that whole thing, you know, that later on in life, you you know, take care of my kids. If I die, just things like that. It's just a beautiful thing. And I just want to encourage you because one thing I've learned about friends is that you can't make it happen. I mean, you can choose your friends. You know, you can say, hey, I like that person over there because, you know, they have a, a brand new car, whatever it is, you know, I, I like them because they have a swimming pool or whatever. A lot of times we like them because they like me, right? <laughs> but, you know, um, the Lord is the one who works it out. I really encourage you to pray. We're going to talk more about this at the end. And, but probably more than anything else, I encourage you to be, be a friend. You be a friend and you find out that you're going to get some friends, you know. What we find right here is that these guys are, are just knit together. They're going to watch each other's back. And so what ends up happening in verse 9, it says, But Jonathan said, Far be it from you. In other words, I'm not going to kill you. For I know certainly that evil, if I knew certainly that evil was determined by my father to come upon you, then would I not tell you? And then David said to Jonathan, Who will tell me? Or what if your father answers you roughly? And Jonathan said to David, Well, come, let us go out into the field. And so both of them went out into the field. And then Jonathan said to David, The Lord God of Israel is witness. When I have sounded out my father sometime tomorrow or the third day, and indeed there is good toward David, and I do not send to you and tell you, may the Lord do so and much more to Jonathan. But if it pleases my father to do you evil, then I will report it to you and send you away, that you may go in safety, and the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. And you shall not only show me the kindness of the Lord, while I still live, that I may not die. But you shall not cut off your kindness from the house, my house, forever. No, not when the Lord has cut off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. And so Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, Let the Lord require it at the hand of David's enemies. And so they work it out, okay? So how are we going to communicate? How you know, you're going to go and you're going to tell your father, you know, that I requested to go to my family's house in Bethlehem for the yearly sacrifice. And, and when he gets the reaction, when you get the reaction, either positive or negative, how, how are you going to tell me? Will you tell me? And Jonathan says, you know what, I, I'll tell you. I promise you I'll tell you. And, uh, and again, it's an element, I think, of friendship. You know, uh, here's something, you guys. Um, friends, I think... They tell each other the things that they need to, and sometimes that hurts. You know, every once in a while you get yes men, and they tell you everything you want to hear, everything you want to hear, uh, but not everything you need to hear. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, huh? We need a friend. And, 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 I, and I'm going to tell you this right now, because sometimes people come, have come to you, and I'm going to tell you this, sometimes people have come to you, and you have rejected their honest words to you. You cannot take a rebuke. You can't take a rebuke. And you all of a sudden you don't like them anymore because they, they told you what's wrong with you, what's wrong in your life. But you don't like them. You should love them. 
That's what the Proverbs say. It says, you know, it, you know, when you when you become a fool, the fool is the one who, when someone comes and corrects them, they just get all bent out of shape and they start freaking out and they just, what do they say? Oh, well, I'm perfect. No. You know, we're not going to grow. We're, we won't grow. And this is a hard place to be. We won't grow until we love the person that comes with honest words of correction. You'll never grow. And you know, and you guys come to this church, and sometimes I probably am too mean. Um, my son tells me that sometimes. Dad, you sounded mad tonight, you know? <laughs> uh, harsh. And uh, I try to tell him, listen, I love my congregation. I love this congregation. I'm not mad at anybody, honestly. I'm not mad at anybody. Maybe you're thinking, oh, you're picking on me. No, I'm not picking on anybody individually. But, you know, I do know that as friends, we need to say these things. Now, you know, Jonathan could have came with the good news. Praise God for that. It could have come with the bad news. You know, I've had situations in my life, and there's kind of another angle in the whole thing. You know, with things, maybe, maybe it's about your children, and they saw your children in a dangerous situation, and they didn't tell you. My friends didn't tell me. Well, then that's not my friend. My kids are in a dangerous situation. Tell me. You know, it's okay to be a spiritual snitch. You know, it really is, especially when it comes to my kids, man. You know, what kind of friend is that? All I know is this, that Jonathan is going to go, he's going to find out, and he says, you know what, part of our friendship, and I'm telling you this, is that I will communicate to you. We're going to find a way. I'm going to send someone to you, but we're going to get the word and he just basically says, and David, when you become king, when you become king, man, let's make this covenant, man. Normally, kings would do what? They would kill all the other kings' kids and, you know, dogs and, I mean, everything. They would just wipe them all out, right? And Jonathan had this wonderful plan. And, he, and he's such a beautiful man because it was never about his position. And I, I just hate it when you get people that it's about position. I hate that. God hates that because it's not about position. You know, I'll be happy cleaning the toilets. Praise God. And if I die faithfully cleaning the toilets, then maybe I'll even get a better reward than Billy Graham because it's not about the position, right? And and Jonathan was like, man, cool. Uh, David, when you're king, then I'm going to be at your right-hand side. That was his heart. That's what he wanted to do. We know that's not the way it ended up. Uh, what ended up was Saul died, all his sons died, and even Michal, uh, Saul's daughter, didn't have any kids. I mean, there was just no confusion when David became king. But these guys are, are just beautiful in their covenant with each other. Um, in the midst of such ugliness of Saul, such envy, there's this thing called loyalty. Loyalty is a word that is has been marred in the church now. And we need to kind of come back to that, you know. David, Jonathan, man, they're there, and they have things that are so cool. You know, one thing, just as a quick side note, in verse 13, uh, that, that broke my heart when I was kind of comparing different translations. At the end of verse 13, it says, And the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. And... Um, and in the, in the original Hebrew, that's not what it says. That's why you've got to go back to the original language. In the original language, Jonathan says to David, And the Lord be with you as he used to be with my father. 
And when I read that in the New Living Translation, it just broke my heart. You know, he used to be with him. You know, was that the Lord's fault? He used to be with him. No, it wasn't the Lord's fault. It was Saul's fault. You could almost turn it around. Saul used to. Saul used to love the Lord. He used to have this relationship that was so beautiful, so wonderful, so simple. Right? But then he became big in his own eyes. When I read that, it just broke my heart, you guys, because I don't want that to happen to any of us here. Uh, I pray that none of us would go back, but that all of us would grow forward. That's what we need to do as Christians. We learn from Saul. We learn from Jonathan. We learn from David. And so they set the signal in verse 17. It says, Now Jonathan again caused David to vow because, notice this, he loved him. For he loved him as he loved his own soul. Then Jonathan said to David, Tomorrow is the new moon and you will be missed because your seat will be empty. And when you have stayed three days, go down quickly and come to the place where you hid on the day of the deed and remain by the stone easel. Then I will shoot three arrows to the side as though I shot at a target. And there I will send a lad saying, go find the arrows. And if I expressly say to the lad, look, the arrows are on this side of you, get them and come. Then as the Lord lives, there is safety for you and no harm. But if I say thus to the young man, look, the arrows are beyond you. Go your way for the Lord has sent you away. And as for the matter which you and I have spoken of, indeed, the Lord be between you and me forever. You know, things are going to change now. Again, Jonathan's going to go find out where his father is. And so, you know, it might be dangerous for them just to kind of meet up at Starbucks, right? And so what they do is they they set a place over here and they say, okay, you know, you go and stay in the field. I guess it was a special place. Uh, and he knew where he could more or less find him. And then he says, when I find out, I'm going to bring some arrows out and bring a young guy, a lad, and I'm going to shoot the arrows in such a way that, you know, if I tell the, the lad to come back, you know, they're, they're over here, then that, that means that God wants you to come back. And I'll bet you almost anything. David wanted that more than anything in his life. I mean, that was where, you know, he was the soldier that God made him. That was where he was, his wife was. That was where everything was. That's where his comfort was. That's, that's what he would have wanted. You know, but he says, but if I shoot the arrow and, it, and I tell the lad, you know, I shoot it beyond him, hey, they're beyond you. Go, hurry, go, get them. Then that means, and notice again what he says right here, Verse 22, go your way for the Lord has sent you away. He says, man, that means you got to go. And you got to split and you've got to do something different in your life. And, and the thing about it is that when we see David going out, and we're going to see him in the caves of Adullam, he goes down to the Gath with the Philistines, he even travels all the way over to Moab. He's just all over the place, man. And it might sound like, like fun because you're like, hey, yeah, I had 400 dudes, man, 600 dudes is pretty cool. They're out there fighting and rumbling and all that stuff. It wasn't fun. They were on the run, you know. And, and it was a hard time for them. It was a very, very difficult time for them. 
But um, what we find is that it wasn't Saul. And I'm, I'm telling you guys this right now, because a lot of you guys are going through situations, and I would not be surprised if you have singled out somebody. It's his fault. It's their fault. And you have singled out individuals that you have grown bitter against, and they are your enemy. That's the worst thing you can do. The Bible says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, man. And as you're out there in the trials, and you're out there in the ten years in the caves on the run, the Lord, the Lord sent you there. Can you see that? The Lord sent Joseph, you know, to slavery, man. The Lord did. Why? Why did the Lord do all these things? And you guys know the answer, huh? Preparing them for something that he wanted them to do in life. How long is it going to take? Will it be 10 years? Will it be 13 years? Or maybe you're going to be a real knucklehead. It's going to take 40 years, you know? I don't know. But you got to, we've got to identify those areas of our life that need to change. And we've got to give it to God and repent of our sin, confess those sins so that we can move on, so that we can grow. And so it wasn't Saul sending him away, we're going to see. It, it wasn't, you know, oh, whoever it is that you're mad at, that you're bitter against. It, it's not them. It's the Lord who has his hand on your life. For David, he was blameless. For us, we're probably not as blameless, huh? But what we find is that God is doing a great work. And so he gave them that signal. And God then begins to move in verse 24. Then David hid in the field. And when the new moon had come, the king, lunatic Saul, sat down to eat the feast. (laughs) Now the king sat on the seat as at other times, on a seat by the wall. And Jonathan arose and Abner sat by Saul's side, but David's place was empty. Nevertheless, Saul did not do say anything that day, for he thought, well, maybe something has happened to him. He is unclean. Surely he is unclean. And it happened the next day, the second day of the month, that David's place was empty. And Saul said to Jonathan, his son, Why has the son of Jesse not come to eat either yesterday or today? And so Jonathan answered Saul, Here it is. David earnestly asked permission of me to go to Bethlehem. And he said, please, let me go, for our family has a sacrifice in the city, and my brother has commanded me to be there. And now, if I have found favor in your eyes, please let me get away and see my brothers. Therefore, he has not come to the king's table. Then Saul's anger was aroused against Jonathan. And he said to him, you son of a perverse, rebellious woman, that's that, that's really bad language, just to let you know. That is the, that he just starts cussing his son out, right? He says, "Do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? For as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, you shall not be established nor your kingdom. Now, therefore, send and bring him to me, for he shall surely die." And because Jonathan knew where he was, right? And Jonathan answered Saul, his father, and said to him, Why? Just tell me, why should he be killed? What has he done? Saul doesn't have an answer. So what he does, it says in verse 33, Then Saul cast a spear at him to kill him, by which Jonathan knew that it was determined by his father to kill David. 
And so Jonathan arose from the table in fierce anger and ate no food the second day of the month, for he was grieved for David because his father had treated him. And I, and I thought that was cool, treated him. This in the Hebrew is a reference to David, treated him shamefully. And you read this right here and the feast and everything. And you know, the first day David's supposed to be there. Um, he's not there. And again, it was something he was expected to be at. It would be actually um, embarrassing for the king, kind of a shame to David's family that he wasn't there. But Saul says, you know what, maybe he's unclean. Maybe he's touched something unclean. Maybe he's been with his wife. That would make him unclean. But when you go through the Levitical laws, all it requires one day, just one day, and then he could be clean. And so the next day when David's not there, you know, Saul asks, hey, where's, where? he doesn't even say David. He says, where's the son of Jesse? You know, and, uh, and, and Jonathan says, oh, yeah. And then, he, you know, he gives him the lie. He even changes the lie a little bit, you know. Tells him that it's his brother, not his father. And he tells him that he commanded him. He didn't just request. And so at that point, Saul just, he gets, uh, you know, he's a lunatic. He gets crazy. It's a full moon. I guess he had an excuse, right? I don't know, man. But he just, he starts cursing at him. You son of a perverse, rebellious woman. And you know what's interesting is that um, that was Saul's sin, rebellion that was his sin rebellion a lot of times we don't know we don't realize that that's what sin is die cast rebellion against god but you know he's quick to point it out to his son and then when jonathan just wants to have a simple conversation time out time out you know i'm not going to start you know throwing blows with you like that just tell me why just tell me why do you want to kill him you know, Saul has no reason, right? And so what does he do? Thank God he wasn't good at this, you know. <laughs> he throws a spear at him. And, you know, David, uh, he, he missed David three times. And now he misses his own son, his, his own son. And I was just thinking, Lord, this guy is just a crazy example of how we can be so selfish in life. And how what we do in life, you know, how it affects everybody. It affects our kingdom. It affects us, you know. It affects our children. You know, I, I told you before, why didn't let God let Jonathan be king? Because when you read the story of Jonathan, he was such a great soldier. Remember when they were all kicking it there, doing nothing? Jonathan says, hey, you know what, I'll take on the Philistine army. So him and his uh, armor bearer, they go up and they fight and they lead them to victory. Jonathan was... A lover of the Lord. He was a fighter for the Lord. He was brave. He was strong. Why didn't God let Jonathan be king? The reason was because Saul, his father, had forfeited the kingdom. And we as parents, you know, we, you know, God help us to think of all those that we're going to affect, especially our families. You know, we're living in days where I think a lot of times, you know, there's this great temptation to be so selfish and we don't realize it. Maybe you're not throwing spears. Maybe you're not trying to kill your kids. But you got to understand that when we're living the life of disobedience and rebellion against God, that that's exactly what it's doing to them. You know, and, you know, there's that motivation, huh? I know for me, I need that motivation because I love my children. I love them so much, man, that it's hard that they're now teenagers now. You know, because there was a time when they used to just, I used to kiss them and hug them and squeeze them and they loved it. 
You know, now they're like, oh no, dad's coming, you know, and they're <laughs> running the other way. For those of you who have little kids right now, just enjoy it thoroughly, man. Squeeze them like crazy, you know. Who knows, maybe your kids are different, maybe they're still affectionate, but man, that's what I want to do. I just always want to squeeze them and hold them and hug them, and I love my children, you know. And, uh, and, and But they have to develop their own faith in the Lord. They have to develop their own walk with God. And that right there is the scariest thing in my life. That's the, just, for me, it's the most difficult thing in my life because, you know, I just, I just want them so much to do well. And then I read passages like this, and I know this is an extreme over here, but when we read throughout the Bible and real responsibility that we have as parents, Man, it just really awakens me to really want to live this life the way that I should. You know, all I know is that Saul was so selfish that he didn't even care if he killed his son. He tried to kill his son. Threw a spear at him, right? He he was like David personified. And so Jonathan doesn't eat that day, understandably so. And so we read in verse 35, it says, And so it was in the morning that Jonathan went out into the field at the time appointed with David, and a little lad was with him. And then he said to his lad, Now run and find the arrows which I shoot. As the lad ran, he shot an arrow beyond him. When the lad had come to the place where the arrow was, which Jonathan had shot, Jonathan cried out after the lad and said, Is not the arrow beyond you? And those were the words that David did not want to hear. Because those were the words of, of just incredible pain and trial. I'm not wanted. I mean, I haven't done anything wrong. Those were the words that just broke his heart. And Jonathan cried out after the lad, Make haste, hurry. Do not delay. And so Jonathan's lad gathered up the arrows and came back to his master. But the lad did not know anything. Only Jonathan and David knew of the matter. And then Jonathan gave his weapons to his lad and said to him, Go, carry them to the city. And, you know, that was supposed to be their mode of communication. That was supposed to be a done deal there. But, you know, these guys were BFFs, right? They loved each other. And they just couldn't leave it at that. And so it says in verse 41, As soon as the lad had gone, David arose from a place toward the south, fell on his face to the ground, and bowed down three times. And they kissed one another and wept together, but David more so. Then Jonathan said to David, Go in peace, since we have both sworn in the name of the Lord, saying, May the Lord be between you and me, and between your descendants and my descendants forever. And so he arose and departed. And Jonathan went into the city. Now from what I understand, David bowed down uh, repeatedly to acknowledge Jonathan's covenant superiority. It's all part of the covenant. Real interesting. This was not their last meeting. They would meet only one other time in their life. It was a very brief meeting. But I was just thinking about this. I was thinking, wow, look at what sin does. The Bible says that a whisperer separates the best of friends. And that's what the devil wants to do, you guys. You know, he wants to separate us. And when I think of David and Jonathan, I think what a great team they could have been if they worked together, if they were allowed to stay together. But what we find is that they were not. 
And so, you know, these guys that had this love, their hearts were knit together, they were split, and David now goes his separate way. I wonder sometimes, you know, I don't know for sure. I was reading, you know, different teachers on this. Maybe Jonathan should have gone with David, huh? I think that sometimes. But then I realized, no, you know what? Saul was God's ordained leader. And sometimes we're there and we're like, you know what? He may be God's ordained leader, but I don't like him. Okay, cool. You might not like him, but that's who God has there. Jonathan was loyal to him. You want to know something else? So was David. David was loyal to him. David understood that. David said, I'm not going to take him down. I'm not going to take him down in any way. I will never speak a word against him. Right? God would take him down one day. You don't have to take him down. And so what ends up happening? We find right here is there's a lesson that is so amazing to me that we find these guys, when it's all said and done, a bunch of crybabies, man, you know. And I, and I, you guys, I cry all the time, huh? And, and some of you guys, I know how you are. You're like, oh, there he goes again. He's crying again, you know. And, <laughs> and you think, you know, he's, I, I, you're, I don't know what you think. Some of you here, I think, oh, that's so nice. Others of you here, come on, dude, you know, man up, you know. And I'm like, you know what? All I know is this. If it doesn't make you cry, cool, that's between you and the Lord. I'm sorry, but I cry. And then when I see these guys crying, I'm like, cool. <laughs> I'm in good company. Here they are weeping and mocos and just hugging each other because of the love that they have. And I think that that's what we need. I really think that that's what we need, you guys. These are the types of relationships that we need to start establishing. You know, sometimes people don't really want to get that close. They don't want to get that tight. They don't want to wear their heart on their sleeve. Why? Because they don't want to be hurt. But you've got to take that chance. Because, man, I'm telling you this... That a life without love is a life without life. We need friends. And we learn these lessons today. I think one of the lessons that I'm learning, and and it's so cool going through the Bible, because I believe God is chipping away. You've probably heard that illustration of a man that was sculpting a lion. It was a big old rock, right? And so there he is chipping away, chipping away, and so one guy, he, he, he sees him sculpting a lion and he comes to him and says, how do you know what to chip away? And the, the artist, he says, is simple. Everything that's not a lion, <laughs> I chip away. And that's, that's what God is wanting to do in our life. As I go through this section right here, I'll be honest with you, as a man, I struggle with pride. I struggle sometimes, maybe, you know, and I, I don't know how to, to a certain degree, but I think we all struggle maybe with elements of insecurity God has been using this word to just, you know what, flush that down the toilet. There should be no envy here. I want you and you and you to go farther than I've ever gone. That's my heart for you, to be the best Christian in the whole world. I pray God will bless your life. Let there be no envy here. That's one of the lessons that we learned because Saul was an envious man. Another thing I think in looking at this right here is there needs to be that loyalty that we need to be friends, true friends, Christian friends. Envy, loyalty, and then we combine it all with the sovereignty of God. God has his hand on your life. He really does. Maybe you're here today and you're thinking, yeah, but not me because I've really blown it. You know what? Yes, you. God still has his hand on your life. 
And I believe this. I believe he wants to comfort you with that truth tonight. I pray, you guys, that we would, you know, just come back to the Lord, examine our lives. And uh, even tonight as we partake of communion together, you know, just um, let's come back to our first love, the simplicity of this personal relationship that we have with Jesus Christ, that we would be men and women of character and integrity and all those lies. And I, I would imagine, you know, I know even for me, but probably for you, there's so many lies. I was telling one person today, man, you're, you're standing on things that you don't know to be true. You can't do that. Suspicions and all that kind of stuff. You know what? Just give all that to Jesus. Give all your problems. Give all your situations. You know, let go of them. And give your life to Christ. Right here, right now. For some of us here, you know, maybe the sins are very clear. They're just crystal clear. Boom. Target. God tells you exactly what it is. And what you have to do is find out what the scriptures say about that sin. And then apply it to your life. Give it to God. And let's just repent together tonight as a church. Father, we thank you for allowing us... This time, Lord, that we get to do business with you, Lord, that we get to do like, you know, transactions. Lord, I remember Hudson Taylor, he said that it's an exchange life. I give you my life and you give me yours. And I pray, Lord, that in this congregation, Lord, and beyond, you would continue to do a work establishing uh, relationships, establishing friendships, establishing um, people who esteem others better than themselves loyalty and just a clear understanding of your sovereignty. And Father, maybe we're going to hear those words, you know, uh, that is time for trials, tribulations, pain, persecutions. Maybe there are people here today who are in the middle of all those things. Father, I pray they would know, like your word says, that all things work together for good to those who love God and those who are called according to your purpose. Comfort us, Lord, tonight. Help us to walk in a way that we would believe in you, in your word, and in your plans. In Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte at air code 626 454 3414 Remember that Jesus loves you